Hello and welcome to yet another edition of the third most popular Canberra Raiders podcast, Raiders Review with Blake and the Pork. I am the Pork. I am Blake. And we have a very full show for you tonight. Thank you for joining us again. First off, Blake, uh, the win against the Seagulls. We, we really need to give that some attention. We finally won one of the close ones, didn't we? It's probably one of, of some of those games, probably the one we didn't, in some ways, probably didn't deserve to win. Mm. But we, for once, luck went our way and we were the ones sort of snatching a victory right at the end as opposed to being on the receiving end. It's a much better feeling. It really is a yeah. much better feeling. It is a much better feeling. Look, and I was extremely lucky to be in the, uh, the change rooms afterwards and I've been there a few times and Ricky usually has a bit of a word about what's going on. And in this particular one, he said nothing. He said, just sing the song, boys. And they did. And, and I think that that was testament to exactly what you said. We got away with that one. We yep. got away with that one. Um, the ugliest drop kick ever. The ball spun sideways. I was in direct line when it, when it went, um, when it went across. I, I cheered loudly and destroyed my throat and was bedridden the next day. I thought they actually blew it because when um, we got the scrum after Nick Kotrick almost scored the try, yeah. and you know it was so it was um, it was put uh, into touch very fortuitously for Tom, Tommy Turbo. Mm. And we got the scrum. I thought that they should have taken it straight from the scrum. I did too. Because you've got so much more distance. Yeah. You know, you don't have the line. They've got to be back from the scrum and then you can be like 10 back from the uh, scrum. And the chance of getting a penalty was so big. I was very surprised they didn't do it. I was exceptionally surprised they didn't do it. So yeah, I agree with that. Um, they got the result. And I, I really, really enjoyed when they went for the short kickoff after that manly to get the ball to do one more and didn't go 10. That, uh, that, that warmed my heart. It warmed my heart. Yeah. Seeing um, Cherry Evans unhappy is, is, you know, never gets old. Never gets dull. Look, I talked to him um, before the match and I said to him, uh, do you actually have any hope? Because he's actually a really lovely bloke, people. He's, I, I, I find that hard to believe. I, I cannot fault him. He's, he's one of the nice guys in the tunnel. He talks to you, he'll answer your questions. He, he's friendly. He's, he just doesn't come off as the jerk everyone sells him to. Maybe he is. Maybe it's a, a show. But I, I've seen lots of players with show, and this doesn't seem to be one. But he said, "I said, have you any hope of making the Origin team?" He said, "Mate, oh, I've given up hope. I've given up hope. I, I don't. I don't put any. I don't invest any emotion into." Yeah, it. because no one else in the team likes him, and that seems to be a familiar theme. Well, all the people who were from that team in 2014, who incidentally also didn't step up when Cooper Cronk got injured. Uh, have pretty much mostly passed through the side. So now it's just, a, it's a reputational they don't like him as opposed to they he's actually seen, don't like Yeah, him. he's seen as, as, as a selfish player. Yeah, well, he, he's definitely he's definitely suffering that fate. Uh, I think it's unfair. But anyway, there was some dreadful defence from the Raiders. Uh, the DCE try was uh, just too simple. But I think when it came down to the Joel Thompson try, running untouched between uh, Blake Austin and Joey Lua, um Alarm bells were certainly ringing for us at that stage, weren't they? Not good. I mean, the first one was one of those ones where you think, "Hang on, is there? It's, have I missed something here? Yeah. There must be. They must be going to have to call it back because yeah, it must have been a shepherd or something." Because you just don't really see tries scored yeah. that easily. Where they walk through. Yeah. yeah. No, it was it was not good. But um, Ricky basically said, "Look, we we had some defensive issues. We fixed them up. I, I think they did. In the second half, they were much better." But having said that they were much better, gee, they needed to be much better than that because it really was quite dreadful. The other thing that I thought was quite dreadful in that match, and I know we're meant to be talking the game up. I know we're meant to be very, very positive. But I thought Chris Butler as the referee in that match had some absolute shockers. Uh, as, a, as a referee, I thought he made a great linesman in that match. I, I just want to go through a few. 
giving a penalty against the Raiders uh, when he thought the dropout wasn't taken on time, when I believe the ball was kicked as the buzzer went it off. It seemed like it. It seemed like it, didn't it? It really did. And uh, I thought that was harsh in the extreme. Um, the other one was giving a high tackle when the player had tripped and was falling to the ground. Yeah. And there was absolutely no evidence of any swinging arms. And basically, they were just trying to stop him. And giving a high tackle in that circumstance was absolutely ridiculous. Is that Whitehead that was in no, the I don't remember who the two players... I think it yeah. might have been. But the worst decision of the night was actually putting uh, Elliot Whitehead on report for a trip when the replays... And giving a penalty to uh, Trent Hodkinson, who put them in front by an extra two points, yeah. which really could have been vital. Um when the replays clearly showed that he was playing out the ball and Thompson then ran into his leg. Yeah. Now, that two points, right at the end there where Hodkinson missed that field goal, made all the difference. Yeah. Made all the difference in that. And it was a shocking one. And basically, the match review committee threw it out. They basically had nothing to say with that. So, that problem. And, yeah. so that, that, that wasn't so fantastic. But then we got one where uh, there's a lot of contention about whether it was a forward pass from White to Kotrick for that last try. What was your view? You were pretty much in line with that. I didn't think at the time it was a forward pass. I don't know. I've, I've, I've watched the replay. I, don't, I think it was, you know, flat at best. I've seen them called. But having said that, I've seen them not called. And I thought it was a great try in the context of the game. And this is the thing. This is the thing. How many times in recent years have Manly robbed us on the back of a dodgy decision? Do you remember the Brett Stewart yes. sleeper play? Yes, where it was terrible. Had anyone actually checked it, they would have realised he was never on side and it was a penalty to the what Raiders on the 40. 2015. 2015. Yeah, and that the Raiders season. Still, that was a really tough, that was a tough, tough one to walk out of. That a, yeah, a tough call because once the replay was shown, he was never on side. Yeah. Should never the instant he touched the ball. These days, and with professional fouls, he might have got ten in the bin for that. But they won it on that uh, last year at Brookvale when um, Uate stripped Junior Paulo um, in, a, in a desperate move, and it was deemed as a drop. Where the replays clearly showed it was a yeah. strip. It should have been a penalty, and DCE kicked the field goal. And then, of course, the Joe Tarpanay penalty uh, where Dylan Walker hit all the crossbars before it went across. The Tarpanay penalty was technically there, but it was a bit of a heartbreaker. So wasn't it nice? Wasn't it nice? You know, the, the old line is, what's better than beating Manly by 50 points? Beating them by one on a contentious decision. <laughs> so that was, that was pretty good. And what a great try that was with uh, Whiten and Cotry. Wasn't that a superb try? And as I said, I actually got to go into the rooms uh, for the, the victory song and I stood next to, I had the honour, the privilege of standing next to the great Steve Jackson, the, the grand final hero. You sent me a photo of you with Steve Jackson and I've got to say, I had no idea who it was. I no. mean, once you said that it was Steve Jackson, I could kind of see the resemblance, but um, well, just he's, looking... he's no longer has a mullet. No, that's true. Um, one of not the not the best ever Raiders mullet. Who would you say had the best ever Raiders mullet? Darren Fritz. Yeah, exactly. I'd say Darren Fritz <laughs> exactly. had the best mullet ever. Um, I, I don't think the hands down. I think Darren Fritz had the best mullet. But Steve Jackson's was good. Let's make no mistake. Yes, yeah, the, the, the Phil Carey sort of you know. Phil Carey was a beauty. You know that was a good. Wayne Collins, I believe, yeah. had a good one. Same um, one. Sean Hoppy. Sean ha- yeah, Hoppy right. had that one, which was really, really like lambs wool up the yeah. top, and then spread down like curtains onto yeah. the shoulders. That was a beauty. He was, a beauty, he was but, quite a handsome fellow. 
Um, but I think Darren Fritz, really. I mean, yeah, spiky no, up the top it was, and wispy down. It was like the mullet Australis mixed yeah. with the, the 80s spike. He never really kicked on. I remember thinking that he was a great prospect, but he never he never really kicked on. Brett Hetherington sort of had the mini mullet. Oh, very, very mini mullet. You know, the young cherry picker. You know, it was sort of de rigueur coming from those parts. Yeah. But uh, I think with Fritz, uh, him and Ricky didn't get along. Right, that's what it was. Yeah, I don't think they got along. Um, there was certainly a lot of fire between them when they played each other after that point. But I think, uh, yeah, there was a couple of times. Where did he go to? He went to the Steelers. Yeah, right. He went to the Steelers, and I think there may have been something after that. But yeah, you're right. He never, he never amounted to the thing that we thought he could be. Yeah. Um, having said that, that mullet, my goodness gracious me, that was brilliant. Yeah. So of the of the sort of the reunion and stuff, when the players were walking around at the start of the game, yeah. A lot of the older players, I just had no idea. I didn't recognise them at all. Oh, yeah, I had to look at their name badges. Half the time. <laughs> oh, they had name badges there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, they had things around their necks, and you could have a look. I, look, I shoved up the back. It was sort of like I, I, went, I went in there, and I'm allowed and everything. But, uh, yeah, it was old boys, and I sort of shoved up the back and let other people get closer. But it was really good to have them in there. And they all sung, most of them sung the victory song as well. Um, which was a really good touch. It was it was just a really nice experience yeah. that was there. And it's good that we're doing it. I mean, that's one of the sort of Ricky's, you know, big innovations has been to try and build the culture and bring back the old names and stuff. And I think it's, it's a great thing to do because, yeah, obviously other clubs like the Knights and stuff have a really strong sort of, you know, old boys day. And it, yeah. it'd be great if we could build it up here as well. I think he's done a magnificent job. As you know, I'm a, uh, a pretty big Ricky fan. Look, uh, Looking forward, we've got Penrith next Friday night after Origin. Now, they've got Jim Maloney, they've got Nathan Cleary, they've got Tyron Peach, and they've got Regan Campbell-Gillard all playing that match. We possibly could have Nick Kotrick in there if something goes wrong with one of the backs. Um, and we've got Josh Rapali in there backing up. But this is going to be a very hard match. And they're top of the it's, table for a reason. It's really, and it's also, we won't know until the day, you know, we, we could speculate at, at it as to what the team makeups are going to be and how the game's going to go down now, but it, we won't know until after Origin and, you know. Well, Jimmy Maloney has an exceptionally good record of coming to the to Canberra Stadium and winning. It's not quite the Benji Marshall record, but it's pretty damn as good. As I've said before, all the good players have an exceptionally good record of coming to yeah, and some have better than others. Benji Marshall I would has like, never lost. At- I would like to know what Andrew Fafita's record is at Canberra Stadium because I remember the first time I saw him, he was playing for the Tigers. Yeah. And he absolutely tore us apart. And when they let him go to get Adam Blair, I thought, this is, you know, this is crazy. This guy's brilliant. But anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah no. And, and he has proved to be brilliant. I yeah. think it was a bit sad seeing him not selected in the, in the New South Wales Origin side. Because you sort of want to see the very best players that can be there. Now, obviously, there's the Tonga test in between, which yeah. he said he was going to prioritise. So they weren't going to be able to pick him for three. And, and, and Brad Fittler made it very clear he didn't give it any consideration whatsoever. Um, but Chief Fafita is doing well at the present moment. And it, it's just going to be a pity not to see him there. But isn't it nice to see Josh Papali back in form? Isn't it nice to see him run there? Now, here's, your, here's Blake's obligatory line where he says, <laughs> at the beginning of the season, I wanted to sell him. Go... Cuba. No, at the beginning of the season, you said he needed to be re-signed at all costs. It was after about the third week he wanted to. You were packing his bags. I was. I was packing his bags because he was playing ordinary football, and his dropping down to reserve grade said that. But it it worked a treat. He's come back. He has been again our best player, which is what he was in 2016. And when he's playing as well as that, the Raiders win matches, even when we're not the best side on the field, like we weren't. Uh, we were last week against uh, the Seagulls, but playing against Penrith and without Joe Tarpano who will still be missing 
Yeah, that let like when you consider that um, Curtis Scott got two weeks mm. for breaking Dylan Walker's face, mm. and um, Tarpany, I know he had loading, but just two weeks for that bump over the sideline, it just seems like. You know, there's no equity between those two penalties. One incident was so much worse than the other. Yeah, look, Dylan Walker drastically deserved to be punched in the head. I know that's that's not what we say in this day and yes, age. Yes, he had baited him, he'd asked for it, he went back in and reincited the incident, and Curtis Scott already was full of anger. And when Dylan Walker went back in there... I think he got off very lightly with a two-week suspension. He did get off, but because I'm certain about, they took think- into account that he was severely provoked. So, yeah, look, it's going to hurt missing Jay Tarpano. Yes, it was probably um, inequitable, but at the same time, he did it. There was a shoulder charge. I think it was one week, but he had loading, and that's why it's Yeah, I know, because he got charged with something else a couple of weeks before. And, and, they, and they accepted him. And he took the early play. So that's sort of the way that runs. But um, that, that's, that sort of covers what we're going. So now we get to your favourite segment of mine, What Grinds My Gears. You know what really grinds my gears? And the good thing this week is that I actually had to sit back and think a bit about what ground my gears. What actually ground my gears. But we came up with a few things that made me a bit annoyed. It's usually referee, something referee related for you. Well, and look, and and we've already been through Chris Butler's uh, magnificent effort um, of not refereeing well. But uh, Matt Checken not being the ref for Origin number one, either ref. I'm happy with Jerry Sutton being a ref, um, lead or otherwise, because he's an excellent referee um, and has been good this season. But Matt Chechen's the other good one. He should be there. Ashley Klein being put in there um, is just a joke. Uh, Bernard Sutton and Tony Archer are a disgrace. They are a disgrace. Uh, they do as they feel. What they do has no basis. So you, you've got a bit of a theory, though, that Chechen is on their, is on their bad side. Yeah. Yeah, he is. Look... When the coup came to get rid of Harrigan, Chechen was not only not supportive of Archer and um, Sutton, to a lesser degree, was involved at that stage uh, because he was a very junior referee, basically doing under-20s. But Archer was very much involved, uh, along with Kevy Hayne. Um, basically, they wanted everyone's support for it, and Chech not only didn't support it, he supported the other side. So one of the things that's always been a wondering thing for us is how exactly Chech has managed to survive as long as he has. Um, I talked to Bill Harrigan about this fact on the phone the other day, and he had some very frank opinions on this that I, I won't share. But um, there, are, there are feelings that um, Chechen's get-out-of-jail-free card that he's basically had over that time has now worn off, and Archer and Sutton are going to move him along and justify it any way they want. Um, and the morale with the referees is absolutely at a low point um, and when you talk to them as I do um, you, the ex-referees and the ones who will sneak a line to you in a corridor somewhere because they're too scared to talk openly um, they're working in a toxic environment and they're basically bullied and it really has to change but the thing is they're accountable to no one Archer and Sutton are accountable to no one no one's going to pull them into line unless there's an outcry and the thing is no one cares about referees most people don't even really view them as humans, you know? They don't yeah, actually you, consider well, them in a workplace. You do notice them more than the normal I do, and I do, fan. and that's because in the tunnel, you actually talk to them and meet them, and they end up being these really nice humans. Yeah, you know, and you can get mad when you say, how could you possibly have awarded that penalty against my side? 
but that's just their job and they, they're yeah. doing their job as well as they can. And when I'm calling a match, just because it's the Raiders doesn't mean I won't say that was a really, really dumb player or that was terrible defence. And it's the same as them. They call it as they see it. So, next up in our fantastic podcast, we have Stump the Pork. Okay, so Stump the Pork is the um, regular segment where I pose a Raiders-related trivia question to the pork to see if I can stump him. So far, I've been unsuccessful in doing so. Mm. But this week, I think I'm going to have you. Okay. So, um, in 1983... Yes. The NRL, or the New South Wales Rugby League, as it was known at the time... Yes. ...switched over from footy cards to the first ever sticker book. Mm. And I was a big collector of the sticker, the sticker book. And I've still got the entire completed 1983 sticker book. Yeah. And so, the Raiders had... All the big sides, all your, your Manly and your Parramatta's and etc. had two pages, St. George two pages. The Raiders had one page, as did the Illawarra Steelers. So we only got about six players on the, on the page of stickers. And one of the players that was actually featured in the 1983 sticker book played one first grade game in 1982. And that was the only game he played for the Raiders at all. And can you guess who that player was that played one game for the 1982 Raiders but appeared in the 1983 sticker book? Yeah, you've stumped. You have stumped <laughs> the pork. I would be one of the very few imports that we actually came with. Um, and I have... It was a forward. I have absolutely no... I, I'm st- I think he's Steve Callahan, but he played more than No, Steve Callahan played lots. Yeah, but that was the name that was coming to my head. No, you've stumped me. Tell me, tell me. I'm it was Louis Bond. Louis Bond. The legendary Louis Bond. Louis Bond. Prop forward. I don't know if he was he was Fijian or something like that, or maybe, I'm not sure about actually his background. His, in the tunnel, they've got a, a great big thing they put in a game day, which has all the names of the players in their player order. And I was looking at Louis Bond, and I think, I've never heard of Louis Bond You've never heard of Louis Bond? I no. think I know him so well because he was in the sticker book. Yeah, Craig yeah, Bellamy yeah. was actually in the sticker book as well. Reasons to be cheerful, part three. One, two, three. The six foot two, 103 kilogram prop forward, from the Wigan Warriors, a Wigan boy himself, born and bred there, has signed officially with the Canberra Raiders and will be coming for season 2019. And, you know, he's he's a player who's capable of doing 80 minutes. He's a player who's capable of doing... I think he actually starts off the bench, though. I think he's been coming off the bench for Wigan. Yeah, well, but he's, he's got... To, and the other thing is, he's he, he's known for being a bit feisty. He's got a bit of mongrel to him. So he's had some fisty cuffs with Mahe Fanua, and he's had some fisty cuffs with Andrew Fafita. So he's not willing to take a backward step, the lad from Wigan. Um, I like the sound of that. I yeah, like yeah, the sound yeah. of that. And look, my dad uh, refers, because my dad's from Bolton, uh, refers to Dirty Wigan, he calls him Dirty Wigan. So, yeah, right. Uh, yeah, so there's a bit of mongrel in the lad. So, and the other reason to be cheerful on top of that is that I've heard that there is rumours of another signing, another big signing, to be announced very, very soon. And that, my friends, is a reason. So last but not least in our wonderful podcast this week, we go to the questions from the crowd. Yes. And what have you got for us this week? I thought you were going to hit me with the first question. Uh, Okay, I will. Okay, so Craig Norenberg's long-time listener, uh, all the way from Auckland, New Zealand. Uh, he wants to say the best fullback. So he's heard a lot of conjecture at the moment that Billy Slater is considered to be the best fullback of all time. I don't think you can argue with that. I mean, as much as I don't like Billy Slater as an individual, yeah. and I think he's seriously tainted his reputation by being a grub. A grub. Yeah. Kicking people in the face, kicking people in the head, just generally carrying on, getting people sent to the sin bin. Oh, he's got a mouth on him too. Yeah, he's a grub. 
He's grub. He's, he's got a face that you'd want to punch. He's the sort of player that you hate if he's playing against you and love if he's playing for you. Oh, of course. Of course. You know, would, would, do we wish Cameron Smith signed for the Raiders like he almost apparently did, you know, all those years ago? Of course we do. All those would he have been ago. as good as he has been if he had signed for the Raiders all those years ago? Of course Possibly he would, because the Raiders are the best side <laughs> of the um, But Craig actually says, okay, given that, who are the best fullbacks ever for the Raiders? Okay, Blake, who's your one, two, three? I mean, the obvious one is the badge, Gary oh, Belcher. Yep. And he played, he's played more games at fullback than anyone else at the club. I think it's about 180 or something like that. Yep. And yeah, he was in that great team. But he was just a wonderful, my favourite player at the time. You know, a real gentleman, still looking good, still doing a great job. He was at the game on, on yeah, last yeah. Friday and he was up in the box doing some sort of radio, Triple M or something, we thought. Um, he was a great player. He had great last line defence. Yeah. Um, he was great. He had amazing kick returns. But making kick returns, fullbacks used to make a lot more kick return metres yeah. back in those days because they didn't really face come up against, you know, an organised line. They'd always, yeah, yeah. the field would be, be the, you'd have a couple of props going downtown, the kick would go down. Be they were all over yeah. everywhere and it was a lot easier to, I think, make I, a lot I of love, return meters. I love Gary Belcher under the high ball. Yeah. I loved him under the high ball. He was safe, he was safe as, as money in a bank that isn't one of our current banks. He, he was fantastic. One year he actually took over the goal-kicking duties. Um, I believe when it was, Mal was 87. Or whatever it was, Mal had his... Broken arm. So yeah. when Mal came back at the end of '87, but um, he I think he top scored foremost for the league. Like he did a great job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he was kicking he was, goals, and it was he was sadly um forced out of the club too soon. Yeah, not a friend of Kevin Neal, as many people weren't. They weren't friends of Kevin Neal, and I think that's only right and proper. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I think he's the number one. Who is your number two? My number two is now a lot of people would say Brett Mullins. But Brett Mullins, he was a brilliant attacking player. But I think um, this other guy was a more complete fullback, and that's um, Clinton Tchaikovsky, who really starred in an in a time from when from two thousand and one or two until two thousand and six. He was by far our best player, and yeah. and did you know individually won as a whole bunch of games. And uh, yeah, he he was just, you know brilliant last line defence again, great under the high ball, just a complete footballer. He was very good. He was very good. I agree. And as much as I liked him far more than Brett Mullins as a human, I'm going to have to go with Brett Mullins as number two. I think Brett Mullins uh, was electric out of the back. I thought his running was superb. I thought in the line when he was at centre to start with, his defence was really questionable. But when it was just him. And the player, he was very reliable in that case. He was excellent at high ball. And he had a special psychic connection going with Ricky that allowed those two to score tries that other people wouldn't have scored because he genuinely believed that Ricky would put the ball where Ricky said the ball was going to be when he said the ball was going to be there. And, and, and Brett Mullins would get to that spot and he would score the try. And he was awesomely good. Uh, just ask him. So I'd rack him second. I'd, I'd, I'd rank uh, Shafovsky Third, and, but I'd like to look. Give, give Who's a, fourth? Uh, I'd like to give a big ups to our current custodian, Jack White, because out of all of those players, no one 
No one has inspired terror in the player, lone player through the line, no. coming at our last line of defence than Jackie Boy Whiten. Because you know what? You might have got through that, but you're still up against our most dangerous hit merchant. He will put you down. He will smash you. He, you know, I don't care who you are coming imagine from the last if line. The shoulder, he ain't beaten. Imagine if the shoulder charge was still legal. Uh, the shoulder charge it'd was be, still legal. It'd be like... Um, yeah, it'd be like uh, Greg Inglis on um, oh, on Dean Young, Dean, Dean Young, Young every oh week. Oh my god, that was horrendous. that was why the shoulder charge basically got banned. Oh, it should he, how he didn't get sent off for that, I will never know because that was in the face. Yeah, but I I, I love it when Jackie comes through. And mind you, big ups to um, Kotrick the other day. It was I think it was against Cronulla where someone came through the line who was much bigger than him and he absolutely thumped him in a beautiful tackle. I mean, unfortunately, we lost that match, but. That was pretty good. Anyway, next question. Uh, I just one thing I think we should add. I mean, are we just admitting um, Josh Dugan from the best ever Raiders fullbacks? Absolutely. Is he just disqualified from even being mentioned? No, it's not disqualified. I don't think he comes in that top four uh, at all. Uh, the guy. Was, so where would you rank him? Fifth. I'd rank him. I'd, I. I don't even hesitate. Toots Croker played a number of games at fullback, and I rank him above Josh Dugan. And you know <laughs> Reece, why? Reese Robinson at fullback. Reese Robinson. Um, and and this is why because he was soft. He was soft. He was soft. Um, there's a story that Alan Tung told me that Brett White told something to Josh Dugan once, and Alan will not let me tell this story. He will not let me tell this story, so I can't tell this story. But all I, tell, all I will tell you in this regard is that Josh Dugan is soft and it was known. Um, you know, went down with injuries far too easily, still does. Look, he's got potential coming out of his ears, um, but I just don't like the bloke. Um, I've really disliked a player as much as I dislike him. He let our club down. He did it in a really, really horrid way that exposed him for the guy that he was. Um, don't like him don't rank him he's not in the top three he's not in the top four he's not in the top five keep walking you know find me a St George St George Illawarra Dragon supporter who misses him that's what I'll say on that mate anyway next question comes from left right curly and he asks what is Blake's position on not being in Ray Dazza's Raiders All-Stars I don't know what it is but I'm now it's been brought to my attention I'm not happy about it look I've been excluded from it continually I think it's a fix I think there's blatant favouritism being brought into that. Um, I'm unhappy about it. Um, I think it really casts doubt on the integrity of the entire All Stars. The fact that what's, I have never what's featured the criteria. Into it. I, you know, it's, it's not even transparent, is it? It's not. It, there is no transparency to that. Um, I want to know who Raydaz is accountable for the fact that me and Blake haven't made it in there. I think we should make it in there. Um, and I think, you know, until such point as, you know, one of us does get a Guernsey, because we rightfully earn it, um, you know, calls the whole integrity of the All-Stars into question. Yeah. Uh, second question from Left Right Curly is, why are the fans on the eastern side of Canberra Stadium so superior to those on the west, Blake? Well, I disagree. They're not. They're not. Yeah, and that's, that's just the fact. They're not superior. I disagree. Like, the... the the eastern side is all well and good if you want to spend every um, day game squinting into the sun. Yeah, that's right. From about three thirty or two or two thirty or whatever, whatever time. And being close to the away supporters' bay as well. I mean, yeah, who wants to do that? Yeah, no, I'm all about the western side. Yeah, we got the TAB on our side. Yeah, well, there is the TAB over there. You know, so um, if things turn grim at Bruce Stadium. Yeah, check out what's happening at Kembla Grange or Dapto or yeah, yeah, you know, maybe even Happy Valley. 
There's many, there's many things to do. I, I totally agree with you. And um, speaking as a person who can go pretty much anywhere in the grandstand, I can go up behind somewhere that's nice and warm, whereas the people on the eastern side can't do that. You know, and there, there's more food outlets on that yeah. side. Um, and we've got the Malmeninga stand. We've got the good coffee on this. I mean, and Malmeninga, for goodness sake. I mean, Greg and Larkin, what's that? What is that? <laughs> what is that? I mean, I mean it's just not the fact. Okay, so SP Dog writes in, uh, can the Raiders make and do well in the finals? It's very unlikely. I mean, it, it's the old thing is if we get there, you know, we could probably trouble any side on the day and if we did get in there we'd be the one team the commentators say we'd be the one team that sides would be fearing mm. and we want to play because on our day you know we, we're capable of so much but looking at the top eight we're only four points out of the top eight mm. but I can't see as making it there and just looking at the at the composition of at the halfway point of the season which teams are in the top eight and which teams are out of it it looks the top eight looks pretty set from what I can see the only real change to the eight I anticipate is um, the Tigers dropping out of the eight and Broncos probably going going ahead. Oh, I don't think the, the Tigers are going out. Um, and I think, I completely disagree with you, Blake. I think if we can get one win out of our next two matches and then Hodgson comes back for the Queensland match um, and we get Junior Paulo back on deck, um, I genuinely believe not only can we make a run, I think we will make a run. I think we'll get somewhere six, seven, eight, and I don't just think the sides in front of us will be scared. I think they'll be being beaten, and I think they'll be doing it because. But who I- do you see dropping it? Like of of the eight, okay, Panthers, Dragons, Rabbitohs, Sharks, Warriors, Storm. The only one I could see, I don't think the Roosters will drop out. I don't think the Storm will drop out. The Warriors could implode. They're always capable of. No, I think I think the start, and you heard it first. I think that I think the Storm are quite capable of imploding. I think they need one more. They, if they suffer, and we saw this, if they suffer an injury to Cam Smith, just an injury to Cam Smith, who remind I shall remind you, was turning thirty-five. If he suffers an injury, the whole forward pack looks directionless. The defensive line looks directionless. They don't have the stars behind it. They rely on his brain and his management, which is superb. He's the sort of guy that, like Pete Sterling in his latter years, can drag a bunch of reserve graders across a line because he's so damn good. But without him, they don't look that crash hot. Yeah, one of my friends actually um, used to play for the Raiders. And in 2000, he played with um, Laurie, which was Laurie's last year in 2000. He said Laurie was hobbling around on one leg by that stage. But just having him on the field then just made such a difference because he told every player exactly, you know, what to do and where to be. Mm. And yeah, obviously having that sort of on-field coach yeah. is, is a huge thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that's a huge right. thing. And that's, that's the thing that, you know, you see with the Raiders and hopefully Hodgson's going to uh, help fix. But we, yeah, we lack that on-field well, leadership and direction. He's not going to have that that role that Cam Smith has. And Cam Smith has a, an overall approach to the entire team and leadership to it. Hodgson is basically going to be leading the forwards and getting that first run off and directing the side. And in doing this, and this is what Ricky said, Caesar's trying too hard, trying too hard to do too much. Once Hodgson comes back into that role, all of a sudden he just has to think about his job, yeah. not anybody else's job. And it will free him up to do so much better. The The days that Caesar does really well is when Havili has a really good game. And those two things sync up. When Havili is having a really good game and throwing good passes, making good runs, his defense is good and he's you know ordering the forwards in the way, Caesar's freed up to do so much more. And I think Hodgson will do that. I think the Raiders can make a run. 
I think they will make a run, I still believe. Um, and uh, I don't think there is a side that has announced themselves as being so superior to anyone else that the Raiders can't beat anybody on their day. Well, we didn't look that far behind the Dragons, did we, when it's all said and done? Not so. at all. A few decisions our way, a yeah. bit of luck our way, we win that match. And, yeah. and then the whole scenario is different. Um, and then, you know, you've got, you've got the run from that point. Um, we've got uh, Penrith next, then we've got the West Tigers... Then we go away to the Broncos. That's hopefully when Josh Hodgson is back. Then we're over to the struggling Canterbury Bankstown Bulldogs. That's at Belmore, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And then we're host North Queensland, who are struggling. Then we're away to the Sharks at a ground we traditionally do quite well at in reverse to not doing well against them at home. Then after that, we have the Storm down in Melbourne, which we owe them and we're ready for them. I think we're in bed and we have gone down there and won before. Then Penrith away, that's obviously tough tough on 5th of August. Um, Then we come home and we play the West Tigers, which will be tough, but at home, we got a a good punt on that one. Um, Sydney Roosters at home again, and there's another side that hasn't gelled this year. Um, then we've got the South Sydney Rabbitohs who are really playing some good football and looking like a great side. That that's at home, but That's at home, that'll yeah. be tough. And then the last round, we go away to the Warriors, which traditionally, we've either got flogged in or we've won easily um, <laughs> when, we, when we've done that. There's nothing there that says to me we can't do it. And that's why I, you know, I, I'm still, you know, you, you can be... You're, you're, ter- you're eternally optimistic. Um, I love my side and I believe. I bleed green. I bleed We've got, we've got another question here. Stephen Gladwish. Yep. Thoughts on Mulholland uh, talking about resigning both our halves. So on the back of um, of the Ryan Sutton announcements, um, there have been a few reports saying that Caesar's, you know, we've been hearing for a long time, he's almost over the line. And now there's talk that there's a new offer for Austin. For a while there, there was, it was said that the Austin was pulled off the table. Stephen says, I personally don't think it's a good idea. Thought we were planning on getting Norman, as in Corey Norman from Parramatta, very concerned. Mm, okay, well, here's the thing. Here's the thing about that. I think we should sign Caesar. I don't think there's anything that's out there that's actually better yeah. um, that we can get our hands on. And I think he has shown, when given a forward pack going forward, um, that he's really quite capable of really orchestrating the side very well. He's a number seven. Um, we should be playing him at number seven. I think he'll do very well in that. See, some people say he's a 5'8", but I see him more as a number seven. But I, see, people... I think his kicking game on his day, and we've seen it be ordinary too, yeah. but we've also seen it be excellent. He's also a superb goal kicker. He's tough in defence. His one-on-ones have been brilliant in the last four or five matches. Yeah. Like, And they've, they've singled him out, and he's really stood up for it. Blake's a different matter. Blake's a different matter. I love Blake. Um, he's 2015-2016, he was wonderful. Um, I, I just wondered. I haven't seen him... Look, in, in the match where he got injured against Can- uh, the Cronulla Sharks, he was actually looking pretty good until yeah, that point. Yeah, sharp. And then he, then he got injured in that point. But there's, there's still that moment when him and Joey look at each other and let someone through in defence. There's still that capability of doing that. Um would Corey Norman be good in the side? I, I believe that... I think he, he's worth a punt. He's, he comes with baggage, obviously. He's more expensive. He's He's got more than one brain explosion in him. And his brain explosions aren't on the field. They're off the field. Um, the rumours are that he wants away from Brad Arthur. That they're not getting on. And we know that can, uh, that the Eels need to shed... Yeah, which is why he's just got that, that, those recent, you know... 
pretty harsh fines. Yeah, so and the belief is they're trying to get him, force trying, him out the door, whether they sack the him or say, ask, know, make him ask for a release. Or you're on a warning. But I don't think on the money he's presently on, because there have been rumours of an Austin and Norman swap. Yeah. Um, I don't think on the the money that Norman's on, we could actually afford to actually bring him. We in would have to. We would have to take him from the Eels if they've got salary cap issues. And I believe he's currently on eight hundred. Yeah. And you know, we'd we'd have to if if the Eels paid three hundred and we paid five hundred. I think it's doable. I don't think they're going to do it. I think I think they're going to wheel him out the door. Um, whether or not he comes, and I, I think Ricky probably like him, but I have a feeling Ricky was the person who brought him to the Eels. That's his, that's the my understanding of the situation. Yeah. yeah, and so he he may want to do that, and it's a clean slate, and it's a good opportunity for him, and he's actually relatively good in defence, um, and he's still, I mean, the upside of him, he's still only twenty seven. He's been around the game for a long time, yeah. so he's he's coming to his prime. Age-wise, as a, as a half, as a player, the only concern, I guess, is that he's still getting himself into a few off-field dramas at the age of 27. Because most players, if, they, if they're going to grow out of it, they've usually yeah, grown yeah. out of it by 27. And, and still making those mistakes at, at 27 mm. has a bit of the sort of the Todd Carney sort of yeah. vibe to you that you're never going to learn. And here's the thing. I like Blake Austin. You know, I like him as a human. I'm ready to move on. I like him as well, but I, I'm ready to move on. And I think if we go into again next year without, you know, changing up the halves, I'm happy to keep Caesar. It probably would be too much to try and, you know, get rid of both of them and, yeah. you know, have Agano and Williams in the halves next year. That's my yeah. worst nightmare. Yeah. That's definitely rock bottom, worst case scenario. Rock bottom. <laughs> I love our Sammy Williams. He's a lovely bloke. Um, but... You, you want to keep people, you know. It's one of the things you get as as a supporter. You get fond of players for the, not just the player they are or the potential you, or the hope you have in them, but as the person they are. And I've certainly got that for Blake. He's just he he's been raised right, you know. The boy from Mount Druitt, you know, is is everything that people don't associate with it. He's a a nice, caring, honourable man. Yeah, you know, he's been raised right. Yeah. and and. He was right when that, that Struggle Street show was on to be really offended about what they were saying about his hometown because he's not that guy, you know, and he knows lots of people who aren't that guy and, and for them to typecast his area. But the question I do have is, does he have what it takes to get us to a grand final and to win it? Probably not. Like I said before, I think that we've already seen the best of him and it's time to move on. Yeah, maybe. But we should probably wrap this up because we've been going for uh, quite a long time now. We have. We have. So thank you for tuning in to the third most popular Raiders podcast, uh, Raiders Review with Blake and the Pork. I am the Pork. I'm Blake, and we'll be back uh, in a couple of weeks. 